0: Do in the lives of our children, in the lives of our loved ones, into the ends of the earth. Show yourself to be mighty to save. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For this time we're going to dismiss the children to go back to OPBC Kids, back to their worship time. If you are a guest or visitor with us and this is your first time and you would like to walk your child back to get them settled, our teachers are back there. They're going to get them settled and ready. Uh, and they'll make sure they are taken care of. And our prayer, of course, is that they hear of Jesus and they come to know, to trust, and to love Jesus with their whole hearts. Okay. I'm going to ask the rest of us to turn in your Bibles if you would to Genesis chapter thirty. We're going to begin with verse twenty-five. It says on your sheet there are thirty-five if you got one of the sheets. I was just testing you. And um and we're going to go through the end of uh chapter thirty one. So this is a big portion of scripture to read today. It's a fascinating story already as we've come through Genesis. Once Jacob showed up, the story got really juicy, didn't it? It's like Abraham and Sarah had some juicy parts. It's pretty interesting. Like all of Jacob's story is juicy, right? I mean, is everybody with me on this? Like every time you turn the page, you're like, what's going to happen next? It's really come to the page-turning portion of Genesis, and uh, it's keeping us guessing as to how God is going to still accomplish his purposes. God has made plans. God has made promises. God has his purposes. And Jacob and everyone in his life seems intent on making sure God's plans and purposes don't work out. It seems like at every turn, they're trying to do something that would derail God's plans and purposes. But what we've learned over and over and over again is that's impossible. That God is not going to be derailed by false gods. He is not going to be derailed by our sin. He's not going to be derailed by wickedness. He's He's not going to be derailed by our scheming. But instead, God is constantly working behind the scenes... Showing himself to be faithful to his purposes, to his plans, and to his people. And so what I want you to see today is I want you to see God working behind the scenes. Because we really love it when God shows himself to be mighty and strong in very miraculous ways. Amen? When he shows up and he shows out, and all of a sudden we're just like, yes! And we can see clearly that that was God. And we go, "Uh uh-huh, I knew it. I ask you, how come we don't know it every day? When he's constantly doing ordinary things that are miraculous things. I, I take Susan, for instance, right? The fact of the matter is, a couple of weeks ago, we all cheered and erupted in in clapping when she and Gary walk through the door because we've seen God move miraculously in your life. We've seen it happen twice now and we're trusting him to continue to do this. And we're trusting him we, we love what we've seen and we know God is in that, right? And we go, yes, that's worth celebrating. So how many of you woke up this morning? How many of you felt like that was worth celebrating on Spring Forward Day? Right? Susan did. Right? The rest of us were like, really? Right? I mean... Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you get what I'm saying? Like, God works in very ordinary ways all the time in our lives. And we miss it. We want sight. We want the miracles. This is not unlike Jesus. Jesus said, hey, what are you, you keep wanting signs for me. You... You keep wanting signs for me, and I've always been working. He's always been working. He's always working behind the scenes. But we want God to work on our timetable in our way in such a way that's obvious to us. And sometimes He's not working so that our sight is made whole, He's working so our faith is made whole. And faith is not by sight. We can only see what God is doing through eyes of faith. And my prayer today is that we would be those people. So if you're like me, you struggle a little bit with giving God the everyday. Okay, so let me say this in another way. We just sang, oh how marvelous, oh how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Oh how marvelous, oh how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. And we even get to that last verse, and it says, When with the ransomed in glory his face I at last shall see, Twill be my song through the ages to sing of his love for me. Right? And we're like, heaven! Anybody looking forward to it? Raise your hand if you believe with all your heart that Jesus, because Jesus has saved you, that you're going to a place that you have never seen. Do you believe it? Are you with me? You've never seen it. Now I ask you, raise your hand if with all your heart you believe that the same God who has promised eternity in heaven, a place you've never seen, is going to provide for your needs today. And you're going to live like he's providing for your needs. It's a little harder, isn't it? We don't write songs about that, do we? We don't get all eruptive in our singing in church over daily bread. We get eruptive in our singing over heaven and eternity. But I ask you, now nothing is too difficult for God. In fact, nothing is hard for God. In fact, nothing takes God's energy. God just does it. Okay? But if you were to weigh, if you were to have to weigh by our perspective and through our perspective, which one would be more difficult? Eternal security of millions and millions and millions of believers for all eternity are giving us daily bread. Which one, in your perspective, might be harder to do? Eternal security of every believer, in our perspective, might be a bigger task. And we have no problem trusting Him for that. And we have all kinds of problems trusting Him for the everyday. So what do we do? We worry. Anybody worry? This is the confession portion of the sermon, right? And yet we're told, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God, right? With thanksgiving you get to do. Why with thanksgiving? Because He's already given us eternity! So we can thankfully bring all of our needs before Him because we know that they're taken care of. Jacob struggled with this. Jacob had God show up to him in a dream at the top of a staircase and say, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to keep my covenant with you. You're going to have a great people and a great land and prosperity and I'm going to be with you. And Jacob goes, I got it. And he's got that in his mind, he's got that in his heart, it's set before him. In fact, here at the end of chapter 30, you see him now ready to get back to the promised land. Get me back to the land of my fathers. I need to get back there. Why? Because now i got a son from the woman that I love. Remember the story? The story of this past chapter that we were looking at? Two wives for Jacob. One, Leah the lazy eye, and two, Rachel the one he loved. The Bible actually does say she... Seemed lazy eyed. So, Leah the lazy eyed, Rachel the beautiful, right? He loved Rachel. He didn't so much love Leah. Leah, because God opens her womb, gives him lots of baby boys. Rachel, at the end of the passage we looked at last week, gives him a baby boy. And then he goes, Now let's head back to the promised land. <laughs> let's head back to the land of my fathers. Now I've got the child of the promise. Now, what's interesting is Joseph wasn't going to be the child of the promise. Judah was going to be the child through whom the promised one was going to come. But he, in his perspective, is like ah, the woman I love had a baby boy. Now we can go back. He, he has in his mind, at least, God's going to keep his promises. I believe the big stuff is taken care of. So why is it so hard for him to trust God in the little things? You see, he couldn't go back to the land without stuff. He wasn't like Abraham. He didn't have wealth. He needed stuff. And he's working for Laban, and he's been there for 20 years working for Laban. So I want you to follow along. This is a long passage, but I want you to follow along because I want you to see God working behind the scenes, always working to fulfill his promises, always working to discipline his people, always working to display his uniqueness, always working his plan of redemption for his people. So beginning with verse 25 in chapter 30. As soon as Rachel had born Joseph, Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own home and country. So Joseph is born. Get me back there. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you that I may go, for you know the service that I have given you. But Laban said to him, If I have found favor in your sight, I have learned by divination that the Lord has blessed me because of you. Name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob says, Send me back. Give me my family. Give me what I have earned. Laban says, I played with some false gods, figured out some stuff that I've been blessed because of you. Jacob said to him, no wages. You yourself know how I have served you and how your livestock has fared with me. For you had little before I came and it has increased abundantly and the Lord has blessed you wherever I turned. But now when shall I provide for my own household also? He said, What shall I give you? Jacob said, You shall not give me anything. If you will do this for me, I will again pasture your flock and keep it. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing it from removing from it every speckled and spotted sheep and every black lamb and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and they shall be my wages. So my honesty will answer for me later when you come to look into my wages with you. Every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and black among the lambs, if found with me, shall be counted stolen. Laban said, good, let it be as you have said. And really, probably should say there, uh, in addition, you're an idiot. That's a horrible plan for you, Jacob. Okay, so let's make sure we understand what's happening here. Jacob says, I need stuff. How do I provide for my family? I've worked for you, and can't you see how you've benefited from all of my hard work? Laban, you've benefited from all of my labor. The Lord has blessed you with all of my hard work. So Jacob, even though he has this big view that God is going to take care of all of his promises, he still keeps God in this little box where he works really hard and hopes God blesses it. Are we not guilty of that in our lives? Or we just work really hard and say, now God, see how hard I work, please bless it. What we need to be able to see is God working behind the scenes all the time to provide for and bless his his children. And then we'll work hard out of our response to him. Then we'll put our work in because we'll believe look at what God has done, how gracious he's been. But here's Jacob he's saying, I worked really hard. See how God blessed it? And he says, Here's the deal. Laban, you don't need to pay me. You just I'm gonna go through, I want to pick out all of the speckled and spotted and black ones the ones that nobody wants the smaller portion of the flock and what I'm going to do is I'm going to take those and whatever prospers there that will be mine so you'll always know if any of your white ones are in with me you know I stole them so you can take them you can do whatever you need to do but I'm going to take all of these they're going to become mine and Levi's like that sounds like a great plan for me because i got a whole lot more of the other Right, and so Laban agrees to this very quickly and what happens Laban said good let it be as you have said but that day Laban removed the male goats that were striped and spotted and all the female goats that were speckled and spotted every one that had white on it and every lamb that was black and put them in the charge of his sons here's what he did he goes yeah that sounds like a great plan so what I'm going to do is I'm going to take everything that should be yours and I'm going to give it to my sons and they're going to take them three days journey away so you can't even have them And he set a distance of three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob pastured the rest of Laban's flock. So here's Jacob. What could Jacob have done in this moment if he really trusted the Lord to provide for his needs? And believe me, he needed stuff. He needed a flock. He needed something to be able to support his family when he went back to the land. That's what he claims to Laban. What could he have done? What should he have done? What would you have done? Gone before the Lord? Lord. You've promised to bless and prosper me. Lord, You've promised that I'll have a great people and a land. That You will prosper me and be with me. Lord, show Yourself to be with me. Provide for my needs. Could not God have done that? Was scheming necessary? And yet He's struggling in the everyday to trust the Lord to provide for His needs. It gets a little wackier. So not only now now Jacob's got to get a plan together. So this is what Jacob does because this makes sense. And I would just tell you anyone who's ever been a part of 4-H club or anything like that, this animal husbandry, this is not. Okay. then Jacob took fresh sticks of poplar and almond and plane trees and peeled white streaks in them exposing the white of the sticks he set the sticks that he had peeled in front of the flocks in the troughs that is the watering places where the flocks came to drink and since they bred when they came to drink the flocks bred in front of the sticks and so the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted got it? Jacob's a weirdo Really, what is this? This is mandrakes all over again. Remember mandrakes? That's what this is all. Over. It's a it's a urban legend, wilderness legend, whatever you want to call it, right? It, it's do this and you're going to get the the spotted, the speckled, and all of that. And, and so he goes wacky. It's not God has provided. God will provide. God's going to take care of me. It's let me come up with some. And the plans get wackier and wackier the less we trust God, don't don't they? Don't they? The further we get from trusting God, don't our plans just become wackier and wackier? Like, what's the wackiest plan you ever came up with in order to provide for your needs when you could have gone to God who's already promised to provide for your needs? So often we find ourselves not just following the ways of the world, but the ways of the wacky when God has already promised and He's just asking us to trust Him. And Jacob separated the lambs and set the faces of the flocks towards the striped and all the black in the flock of Laban. He put his own droves apart and did not put them with Laban's flock. Whenever the strong of the flock were breeding, Jacob would lay the sticks in the troughs before the eyes of the flock that they might breed among the sticks. But for the feebler of the flock... He would not lay them there. So the feebler would be Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man increased greatly and had large flocks, female servants and male servants and camels and donkeys. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Check that out. The God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. I just want to make sure you understand there's a huge difference between Jacob at the end of chapter 30 and Jacob at the beginning of chapter 31. Something happened. In chapter 30, it's look how hard I worked, and God blessed it. In chapter 31, look what God has done. What changed? What we're going to get, we're going to get a clue into what God did. He intervened into this situation so that Jacob would see clearly that it was not his scheming or his hard work or his striped branches that accomplished this purpose, accomplished God's provision for him, but it was God himself. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock were spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock poor striped. What he's saying is, God did this. God wouldn't allow me to suffer. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes, and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. See, God is doing this. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money, the sins of Laban coming home to roost here. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Even Leah and Rachel are agreeing on something. And they're agreeing, follow what God says. There's a huge shift that's happening in Jacob's life, in his faith, and in his family here. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban the Aramean by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face toward the hill country of Gilead. So let me make sure you understand what's happening. So Jacob... Has God do all of this for him? And God says, go. Jacob picks up and goes. Jacob, in honor of Laban, and because he was taking these two daughters and the grandchildren, and because they were still part of Laban's household, really was required by custom in the Mesopotamian, Mesopotamian region to go to Laban and request being able to leave. And Laban would have thrown a huge party for him, supposedly, even though we know Laban probably wouldn't have done that, and he would he was supposed to do this. But instead he deceived him, didn't tell him he was leaving, and he took off. And he sends everybody ahead and then he goes ahead and he crosses the river. Now he's crossed into across the Euphrates and he's going into Canaan. He's now left the land of Laban because Laban went out to shear all the sheep, which is probably a three to five day process that he and all the sheep herders would go do. So now Jacob has escaped. Jacob has left. Jacob has begun the exodus back to the promised land. And yes, this is a precursor to the exodus you're going to read of in Exodus. Think about this for just a second. This is God bringing his people out of exile back into the land that he has promised. He loots the people they're leaving. Bring them back into the land. God meets with them in the middle of the wilderness. This is all a picture of what's going to happen. Moses is writing this book to a people who are getting ready to enter the promised land, reminding them that God is always working behind the scenes. He's worked on their behalf as the nation of Israel. He worked on Jacob's behalf, and he's going to continue working on their behalf to provide for his people. When it was told Laban on the third day, this is verse 22, That Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream by night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And Laban overtook Jacob. Now Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country, and Laban with his kinsmen pitched tents in the hill country of Gilead. And Laban said to Jacob, What have you done that you have tricked me and driven away my daughters like captives of the sword? I love the way they just keep accusing each other of being tricksters. Like, you're a trickster. Uh, Yes, Laban. Pot, kettle, you know, that sort of thing. Why did you flee secretly and trick me and did not tell me so that I might have sent you away with mirth and songs with tambourine and lyre? And why did you not permit me to kiss my sons and my daughters farewell? Now you have done foolishly. It is in my power to do you harm. But the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. And now you have gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my God's? you see what he's really concerned about? Jacob answered and said to Laban, Because I was afraid, for I thought that you would take your daughters from me by force. Anyone with whom you find your gods shall not live. In the presence of our kinsmen, point out what I have that is yours and take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen them. So Rachel stole the household gods from Laban, probably the same gods he went to for the divination to figure out how he was prospering so well. So there's possible reasons for this. One, maybe she's holding on to a little bit of her past. It could be even more so that she doesn't want her father to be able to follow them and figure out where they've gone because he might go to those gods for divination to figure out where they were going and therefore harm them. But regardless, she takes these gods and she steals them. Jacob doesn't know she has them, and he basically gives her up. If you find them with anyone, they need to die. So now his beloved wife is in danger. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of two female servants but he did not find them and he went out of Leah's tent and entered Rachel's. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. Laban felt all about the tent but did not find them and, he sa- and she said to her father let not my lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me so he searched but did not find the household gods. So What happens here is she defiles the household gods. Right, She takes the household gods Puts them inside So we obviously know She doesn't hold They don't hold much sway over her They're not something That she's sitting there And she honors So evidently she did this To spite her father In some way Or to at least keep him From something Because she puts them In the camel saddle And sits on them And then She has the way of women with her. Now you can interpret that in a couple of ways. Women, you know the way of women, right? The other other way would be, it's quite possible she's now pregnant with Benjamin, her second son. Either way, she's defiled these household gods. They hold no sway. They hold no power. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. Jacob, Jacob said to Laban, What is my offense, what is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods... What have you found of all your household goods? Set it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us two. These twenty years I have been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. I have not eaten the rams of your flocks. He's been honest about his work. What was torn by wild beasts I did not bring to you. I bore the loss of it myself. From my hand you required it, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. There I was. By day the heat consumed me and the cold By night, and my sleep fled from my eyes. These twenty years I have been in your house. I served you fourteen years for your two daughters, and six years for your flock, and you have changed my wages ten times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. I want you to underline that, highlight that, circle that, whatever you may do, because this is where Jacob, the agent of God's grace, the one who had been, God had been having to pour out mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace upon, now is becoming a man of faith. This is where faith is now taking root in this man so that he would understand that God is the one who has provided for his every need. He has all of these flocks and it's not by his hand. It's not by his scheming. He says, had God not been on my side, had God not done this, I wouldn't have anything. You realize that you have nothing apart from God? Nothing. Without him working, without him doing, without him providing, we have nothing. Then Laban answered and said to Jacob, the daughters are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, and all that you see is mine. You see the difference between the two now? God did this for me, and Laban saying, they're mine. Mine, 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 versus God's, God's, God's. But what can I do this day for these my daughters... Or for their children whom they have borne. Come now let us make a covenant you and I. And let it be a witness between you and me. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. And Jacob said to his kinsmen gather stones. And they took stones and made a heap. And they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jegar Sahaduatha. But Jacob called it Galid. I like Jacob's name better. Um, Laban said this heap is a witness between you and me today. Therefore he named it Galid. And Mizpah, for he said, The Lord watch between you and me when we are out of one another's sight. If you oppress my daughters or if you take wives beside my daughters, although no one is with us, see God as witness between you and me. Then Laban said to Jacob, See this heap and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. This is now the border between one people and another. Right? One nation and another. Jacob and his people are now being set apart as another nation. It's not going to be just by a border. It's going to be because of their gods. Look at what he says next. The God of Abraham and the God of Nahor. This is Laban speaking. These generic, my grandfather's gods. The God of their father judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. And Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. Jacob knows the God he's sacrificing to you. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Early in the morning Laban arose and kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then Laban departed and returned home. It's a lot. But if you pay close attention as you're going through this, what you're going to see is that God has made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and God is keeping that promise. God has made a promise to you and to me that if we are in Christ... We will be with Christ for eternity. We believe that, right? And if that's true, God has also said, I will never leave you or forsake you, but will be with you always. Do we believe that's true? So why is it that we believe that heaven's going to be like that, and it's easy for us to believe that, but it's hard for us to believe that about Monday? Why is it that we live as if, oh, God doesn't know my need. God's not hearing my prayers. God's, but He is. Heaven is simply supposed to be the reminder that He's doing it now. That He's faithful now. And He's always blessing and He's always providing. See, the Lord is always working behind the scenes. He blesses and brings increase for his purposes. If you look through the end of chapter 30 there, it's God who is doing this. In chapter 31, Jacob finally comes to the realization that it wasn't even his hard work, that it wasn't his scheming, that it wasn't his power. It was God. If God had not been for me, I would have left empty-handed, he says. God's the one who brings blessing. God is always working, and we need to stop looking through our sight eyes, right? We need to stop looking at how much is in our bank account, how much is in our family, how much blessing we have by the world's standards, how many sheep or goats we have as God's blessing. And we need to start looking at God is with us. And when we begin to understand that God being with us, we know that blessing follows His presence. We know that provision follows Him. And so we can trust Him. One of my favorite stories from the New Testament is Jesus in a boat with His disciples, right? And Jesus is asleep in the boat, and a storm comes up, and all the disciples are like, we're going to die, and they wake Jesus up, and they say, how could you be sleeping We're all going to die. And Jesus' reaction is basically, why wouldn't you be sleeping? I'm in the boat with you. Oh, you of little faiths. It wasn't that fear was the problem. It was they forgot that Jesus was with them. Our eyes, our sight eyes, often will forget that God is with us. Jacob had God show up and say, I'm going to be with you. And his eyes of faith needed to grow. His work can be clearly seen through eyes of faith. His work is even going to be clearly seen by pagans, because they're going to benefit from it. In fact, we don't like that, do we? And when God's blessing us, other people, lost people, pagans, Democrats, they, they get blessed too. Yeah, I said it. Because I know some of you. You understand what I'm saying? We don't want, we don't want those people to get a blessing. We're God's people. We should get the blessing. But here's the thing. You are blessed to be a blessing. Guess who you're supposed to be blessing? Lost people. Laban got great blessing from Jacob's blessing. What if? we became less concerned with how can we get more blessing and more concerned with how's Powhatan going to be more blessed by God's people. We begin to understand, like those in exile, that we should be praying for the good of our city. We should be building homes and planting vineyards and we should be seeking the good and the welfare of those around us because in their welfare we have blessing as well. What would it look like for us to work hard for 20 years, seeing no return on that investment, but trusting that God is going to provide? See, that's where Jacob messed up. Jacob didn't trust God was going to provide. He did it and schemed and tried to get everything he could out of it. He tried to squeeze it for everything it was worth. God provided far more than Jacob could ever do. In fact, if it was Jacob's schemes and if it was Jacob's scheming that accomplished anything, he would have left with nothing. He even gets to that point. He says, had God not been on my side, I would have left empty-handed. But God is always at work. God is always at work through the honest work of His people. We should be people who bless the world through our work. Everything you you do should be to honor God and to bless the people around you. I love the way he works in this passage of Scripture because God is working through ordinary means and through miraculous means. He's constantly working through both. He shows up miraculously to say, Laban, don't harm him. That's a miraculous intervention. He also shows up and says, Hey, Jacob, check out what I'm doing with the sheep and the goats. Jacob, in chapter 30, is going, let me figure out the scheme. And then in chapter 31, he comes to the realization. His eyes of faith click in, and he begins to say, you know, it seemed like every time that your father, ladies, when he would say, it's the speckled ones, that the speckled ones were the ones that would prosper, or the striped ones. It was the striped ones that would prosper. That's what God was doing. And God was working through miraculous means and through ordinary means. Let, let me make this abundantly clear. Okay, If you put male and female goats and male and female sheep together, you're going to get more goats and sheep. That's just ordinary stuff. And if you put speckled ones together, there's a good chance you're going to get some speckled ones. Right? God works through the ordinary means of this world. He does it all the time. We just miss it. We just miss it. But he also works miraculously. Man, we love it when he works miraculously, when he shows up and he shows out. I'm going to ask you real quick. Anybody here ever left five minutes late for anything? Not today. Today doesn't count because you got an hour less of sleep. I get that, okay? But... Five minutes late for anything. Anybody? Five minutes late for anything, right? You're supposed to leave at 8.30. You leave at 8.35. Stop looking at your spouses um, because they're the ones who make you late all the time. But you're supposed to leave at 8.30. You left at 8.35. You're with me? You get this? And you get frustrated and you go, "Ugh, what's the deal? Question. You ever wonder what was happening on the road those five minutes while you were still sitting at home? I don't want to get into every conspiracy theory possible or every weird reality. But I've had enough moments in my life where I've been delayed by ten minutes and it's because God wanted to accomplish something that I know that's the way he works. Just just admit it right now. This world is trying to kill us, right? Like, this world is trying to kill us. Like, ten years ago, everything that was healthy is now going to kill you right I mean they stopped giving us sugar so they gave us all this other stuff that's going to kill you right they're like oh be healthy drink a diet drink which is going to kill you it's like you either get fat or you die those are the options you have for what they give you now right that's it the world's trying to get us. we live and this is not just funny it's a spiritual reality we live in a world that is under the curse of sin and death it's literally trying to kill you at every turn, everything. It is a miracle you're breathing. How many of you in this room have someone you care about deeply who f- is fighting with a major illness or has fought with a major illness? Everyone! Why? Because this world's trying to kill us. You are breathing right now because of the miraculous, ordinary work of God. Don't think it's because you're really good at health. Don't think your diet's accomplishing that. God did that. And he's continuing to do that. Now we have responsibility. We need to start. Start with recognizing that God is working miraculously through the everyday in our lives I was not going to spend that much time on that but I needed that today It's essential that we get to this point. God worked miraculously. He intervened on Jacob's behalf. He intervened constantly on Jacob's behalf. And Jacob half the time couldn't see it until afterwards. But what would it look like for us as God's people to stop for a second and just take stock of how God's working miraculously through the ordinary right now? Right now. You will eat a meal. After church, quite possibly. You may even pause before that meal to give thanks for it. Did you earn that meal? Or is it an act of grace? That's why we call it saying grace. Because we understand, we should, by faith, understand that we did nothing to earn that meal. God provided. It's an act of His grace. God works in spite of our sin. God works through natural Courses of the world God works through his special revelation of his plans and his promises He's working behind the scenes And in obvious ways But he's always working miraculously through the ordinary Celebrate it Thank him for it Praise him for it Because God is always remembering his promises He's always remembering his promised ones He will never leave us or forsake us That is not an empty promise He's not going to leave us or forsake us Because he's got a plan for us He's never going to leave us or forsake us on this earth because He's never going to leave us or forsake us for eternity. Eternity is there to remind us. That promise of eternity is there to remind us you can believe Him for Monday. Because you can believe Him for 10 trillion years from now. God is constantly working. He remembers His promises and His promised ones. God doesn't just give us blessings for the sake of giving us blessings. He's always got a purpose to them. God gave sheep and goats to Jacob because Jacob needed some way to provide for his family. He was going to go into a land with nothing. Had he left empty-handed, he would go into Canaan with nothing. God provided God provided because he had a plan and a purpose for Jacob and his family. That plan and purpose was one day Jacob and his family was going to be in need because that boy Joseph was going to be sent into slavery, into Egypt, and a big family was going to come on. And their need for being taken care of, guess what they were going to do? They were going to have to go to Egypt and be taken care of. And you know what God provided while they were in Egypt? They prospered. I want you to just understand this. What started as one man, Abraham, Right? Isaac, Jacob, 12 sons, when they left Egypt, estimates between 2 to 4 million people. God was providing for Jacob's needs to provide for a way that he would make a great nation. Now I want you to continue doing the math. Hundreds of years later, one descendant. Jesus of Nazareth was the real purpose of God blessing Jacob in these pages. He's constantly blessing, but he's always doing it for his purposes. And I want you to see what Jacob begins to understand through his eyes of faith is it's not that I got a bunch of sheep and goats. It's that my God was with me. My God was with me. God's presence is the most precious promise of all. In chapter 28, he said, I'll be with you. And if we'll accept that as God's most precious promise, then we'll understand that that's the true blessing. God will intervene to keep his promises. He will intervene to demonstrate his presence. He will intervene to keep his purposes and his promises. He will give them a company of peoples. He will give them the promised land. Look understand this what God is always working to do is He's working to take His people and make them more into the image of what He wants them to be. That's disciplining. What does He want from us? He wants to show us to be ways he is trophies of His grace. He wants to show us to be trophies trophies of His grace. So we'll stop thinking, look at what I was able to accomplish. The whole world will be able to look and say, look at what God did. So what God's always after. Which means we're also going to grow into people of faith. If you sit here and you say, look, there's no way God could love me. There's no way God could use me. He used Jacob to show us that he's looking for trophies of grace so that the world would be able to say, God must have done that because there's no way Brad did that. God must be great if he could use that guy. And that should grow our faith. When we have a proper perspective on ourselves, it should grow our faith. God could use me. That's the disciplining work of God. And you can see it between chapter 30 and chapter 31 in Jacob's life. Where he moves from, look at what I did, God bless it, to look at what God did. Look at what God did. Oh, that we would be people of that type of faith. That would call upon the name of the Lord declare his glory to the people around us see God at the end of this passage there's two men left here and they're left here at a dividing point and it's really a dividing point in history where Laban has now come he could do harm to Jacob but God intervenes and saves Jacob and they meet together and they build a monument at this moment and it becomes the border between two peoples between two lands and really between the world and what God was doing And in that moment when they eat together and a sacrifice is made there and a promise and a covenant is made there, it's a covenant, no harm. You can't cross here to invade our land. I won't cross to invade your land. No harm is going to come at my hand to you. No harm from your hand to me. Let's make sure we understand that. This is the moment where a dividing line is made and a nation is going to be built. A nation is going to begin to be built from the people of Jacob. But what is God doing Here you have Laban, and he says the gods of my of Abraham and Nahor. He says those are the ones I'm going to call upon in this moment. These are grandfather's gods. These are generic gods. This this is as if Laban is saying the man upstairs should bless this. This The last time you ever used that phrase, the man upstairs, 1973. How about Mother Nature? I, I hate turning on the weather and hearing that one. Right, Mother Nature. All I know is Mother Nature's gotten it wrong for a really long time. God seems to get it right because it does what the weather does what He wants it to do. Mother Nature just keeps messing up. They keep telling me what Mother Nature is going to do, and Mother Nature never seems to do what they said. Right, but God always accomplishes His purpose. God is not a generic God. He's not a generational, historic God. Someone who's only been working in the past. That's Laban's idea of God. Look, God is the God of our forefathers. I get that. God doesn't really have a bearing in my life right now. That's all well and good, but that was a former generation. Look, we can make, we can do something here ceremonial. We can come to church and we can make sure we go through the motions, but that's really just For our feelings and to make us feel better about this really what this comes down to is what I can accomplish what you can accomplish because those gods of the past those generic gods and those historic gods they don't have any bearing on today but I want you to know Jacob knew that this was his father's God his grandfather's God and the God who visited him in Bethel he knew this God he had spoken to this God and this was his God That's the difference between us and the world, folks. That's the dividing line. The dividing line is very simple. It's not who has more sheep. It's not how clever we can be, how scheming we can be. It's not who gets more blessing. That's not the dividing line. The dividing line is this, and it's a very simple dividing line. Do you have a personal relationship with the living God? That's the dividing line. We like to make it a bunch of different things we make it political we make it blessing we make it money we make it all kinds of stuff but ultimately it comes down to this do you have a relationship with the living god because this is the way the whole story ends this is the declaration when the nation of israel would enter the land and god would show up in power this is what he said "They will be my people and i will be their god the end of the story in heaven. Guess what the promise is? God will dwell with His people. Personal relationship. A personal God. Not some generic reality. Not some generic worldly idea. God is not impersonal. He is personal and He is promise keeping. Why? Why is this good news? Because God is not about just blessing for blessing's sake and if you're seeking blessing for blessing's sake or you need more blessing from God for him to prove his faithfulness to you, you have missed the point you've missed it God is working to establish a kingdom and his kingdom looks like this God's people that's us, in God's place under God's rule and blessing He's doing that with Jacob, right? God's people, Jacob and his descendants, in God's place, Canaan, under God's rule and blessing, bringing faith by grace into Jacob's life. In your life and in my life, what we long for in the end of the story is God's people being in God's place under God's rule and blessing for all eternity, right? You know what He's promised you? We get that now. That's why we can pray Your kingdom come Your will be done On earth as it is in heaven Because it can be answered And He can bring His kingdom Here Show Himself to be gloriously working In miraculous everyday ways Showing Himself in our lives And in our faith By His grace That we are His people This plan is going to be shown in part through Jacob, it's going to be shown in part through the nation of Israel, but ultimately this plan is going to come to its fulfillment in Jesus. In Jesus, God's people will come to God's place under God's rule and blessing. In Jesus, all of the promises will be fulfilled. In Jesus, all of the blessing will be found. Every spiritual blessing is yours and mine by faith in Christ Jesus, this is what the Bible literally tells us: you've been given, as children of God, as those who are in Christ, we've been given every spiritual blessing in where Christ in the heavenlies, in Christ Jesus. We have every spiritual blessing is found in Him. He's the fulfillment of it all. Every promise, every covenant. Everything finds its yes in Jesus. Everything finds its fulfillment in Jesus. If you're looking anywhere else, you're looking for a generic, distant God. When our God has come to dwell with us. And to say, you will be my people and I will be your God. Oh, that we would have eyes of faith to trust Him. To see Him work miraculously in the everyday, in the ordinary of our lives. And that would grow more faith in us, and more faith in us, and more faith in us. So look to the future. Long for the future. Have that perspective. Know that heaven awaits you. Know that in Christ you are secure. But know that that security isn't just for the future. It's for right now. And trust Him for it. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would be people of faith now. And whatever it is that we're going through, we would trust you and we would be able to proclaim that it is well. Because it comes from your hand. And you are always faithful. You are always working. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to close by singing today. This is also a time of commitment.